0: Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
1: This summer, when you're on the go, stay connected to what matters most with access to over 3 million Cox Wi-Fi hotspots.
0: Learn more at Cox.com. Ask Ashley, the podcast is sponsored by Cox. And welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 10. Thank you so much, so, so much for listening. Now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not the serial killers are white dudes. What? <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> what? Uh, yes, there are many well documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives in the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. <laughs> allegedly.
1: And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to... Fruit loops pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 935 and we may feature it on a future episode. Ooh. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or instagram by using the hashtag fruit loops pod discussion all of our footnotes for each episode which articles we use and all the other media that we use to source this story the music notes all that stuff can be found on our website
0: well that is just glorious also if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app which you can download to your phone and uh you can find online also at cash.me forward slash loose pod or you can become a monthly patron through our podbean patron page we also have some merch that's right mom you still haven't bought a mug <laughs> for sale on our website we got onesies sweatshirts shirts stickers pillows we got pillows pillows that's right and on our <laughs> website at fruitloosepod.com <laughs> forward slash merch. so if you can't help monetarily that's totally cool no problem man you can always give us a five-star review on apple podcast or anywhere else you get your podcast from and this is key please share our show with your friends. yeah so who are we talking about today beth
1: today we're talking about mohammed bajay also known as the Tehran Desert Vampire. He was an Iranian serial killer who killed at least 16 boys and two adults. Mm. And I wanted to mention that we didn't plan it this way, but by the time this airs, it will be the day after 9-11. Because of 9-11 and other acts of terrorism and the revolution that we'll talk about in this episode, There is a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment here in the U.S., which I think is unfair because most Muslims are just normal, everyday people. Mm -hmm. The extremists are the ones who cause all the trouble, and I think this can be true of any religion. Mm -hmm. And we don't judge all Christians by what the Westboro Baptist Church is doing, and we should not judge all Muslims by what Muslim extremists are doing either.
0: I am so glad that you said that, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to talking about this episode given the the time period that we're in. Yeah, um, because Islam um, is a religion of peace, and I uh, had Muslim friends growing up. I've never been afra- af- afraid of a of a another brown person. Like we're all in this together. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. anyway, um, so. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Although I was sick on Saturday, but Ooh. the the bright side of that is it afforded me a lot of time to watch movies and documentaries about Iran.
0: Hey, so when you say that you were sick, um, uh-huh. were you like a human fountain?
1: No, I actually, I had a stomach ache. I was nauseous, but I never threw up. I just did not feel good all day. And I took a lot of naps and watched TV. So I, I don't know. Mm. There must be some gastrointestinal bug going around. Not sure.
0: Mm. Did you lose any weight? <laughs> <laughs> I just I always... I, I never get sick in that way. And I'm always like, oh, man, if I just if I got the stomach flu for one weekend, I would be so hot. Oh,
1: no, no, it's not worth it.
0: <laughs> OK, I'm stupid. Uh, <laughs> so how are
1: you doing?
0: I am good. I had the day off. So me and my daughter made slime. We went for oh, we went to the fun. playground. But awesome. I wanted to say, um, yeah, it was awesome that the uh death toll in Hurricane Dorian's wake is rising.
1: Yeah. And
0: I just want to give thoughts and prayers to everybody who is affected by Dorian. Uh, we have listeners all over the United States and all over the world. Climate change is affecting everybody, um, but the ones that are suffering the most literally are the blackest, brownest, and poorest among us. Yeah. So we just wanted you to know that you are on our Fruit Loops prayer list. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, now we, are, <laughs> I don't know if I should even bring this up, the Sharpie and the map. Oh God. On.
1: Oh man. It, it, did you know Ooh. he, well, it was pretty obvious that he did it himself, but he did it himself. He drew oh, that himself.
0: Lord, Lord have mercy. <laughs> All right. Well, I would add him to the prayer list, oh, but oh boy. I'm going to um, be a Add prayer. America to the prayer list. Yeah, well, add America. To the pair list, yes, America, yeah, um, and everybody in the islands and the you know, uh, every, every everybody who's affected by the storm in, yeah. and climate in general. Um, so now, uh, we are going to dive in to our listener letters. Well, hello, What's angels, this? somebody's <laughs> delivered a bag to us.
1: Hello. look at that. Hello.
0: (laughs) What's in there? What do you got (laughs) there?
1: I got a review from DeBill7 on Mm. Apple Podcasts, who said they are funny and great coverage of the crime. So thank you, DeBill7. Yes. And I also wanted to give a big shout out to our pod squad and our Facebook discussion group. I wanted to say thank you so much for constantly bringing subjects to our attention, for interacting with us and entertaining us with funny memes. Mm-hmm. So hip hop air horns to you all and to Debill 7
0: mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeedy. So I'm not on I don't fucks with Facebook. So that's best bag. But um, we also are getting um, a lot of activity and correspondence and engagement on um, Instagram and Twitter. So keep it up. Y'all, we're, uh, yeah. we're out here. We see you. Yep. We see you, boo. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to also read another Apple podcast review. Um, and it was titled, One of My Favorite Serial Killer Podcasts. Hi, y'all. I've been listening to y'all for a while now and still can't believe that this is the first POC podcast that I've heard of. Y'all do a great job. And part of that is because of how well y'all click. Hey, I love you, Beth. Y'all make me me laugh (laughs) and inform me as well. Keep up the great work. I hope y'all reach your goals. For this and more. Love, uh, Um. So Cherise, hip-hop air horns to you, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, that's so nice. You're welcome. Thank you. It's very kind um uh, another apple podcast review we got a uh, great show was the title of the review said funny and informative show i love the research that they do i also love the segment that tells you what to do to protect yourself and that was from b pearson so mm, uh awesome. hip-hop air hunts to all of you and to all of our patrons Thank you all so much for supporting us. Yeah. Um, We couldn't do this without you.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So uh, now we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back.
1: Hi, friends. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. We make Trashy Divorces. It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Every week we
0: take two different stories of trashy divorces throughout time. The rich, the powerful, the famous behaving badly.
1: So, so badly.
0: Tune in every Sunday to get your Trashy Divorces fixed. It's trash candy for your ears. So uh, who are we talking about today, Beth?
1: Today we're talking about Mohammad Bajay, an Iranian serial killer who, in the press, was called the Vampire of the Tehran Desert, or sometimes with his accomplice Ali Baghi, also known as Ali Galampur. Not really sure why two names are used, but anyway, uh, the two of them together were sometimes called the Hyenas.
0: Ooh! Wow, that evokes quite some imagery.
1: Yeah, on it my does. part.
0: Well, um, so we're going to get into the story and I I wanted to preface, at least say early on when we are recording that we um, did our best to research the case, but um, there wasn't as much information as there has been in in past cases that we've done. And so we also wanted to give a healthy dose of um, Iranian history and uh we may fall short the history is very vast Um, yes but we didn't want to sort of context is everything as we say so that's why we wanted to um talk about that so there is going to be a a a good chunk of our show where we talk about Iran's history, and if you're not interested, we have timestamps in the show notes, and you can just fast fucking forward.
1: But I suggest you don't, because <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> it, is.
0: It, is. it is. I agree a hundred percent. um So we are going to get into some stats here. Okay. Brr. Uh, so Bijay was born on uh, February 7th, 1982 in, uh, Kuchan, Razavi, Khorasan province in Iran. He had at least 18 victims, two adults and 16 children. Um, there could be more, uh, the span of the crimes was between March and September, 2004. Uh, he died March 16th, 2005 at age 23 in Pakstat, Iran, and his punishment and death were pretty epic. Yeah. So we'll get into that in the end. But um, I didn't find victim names. Did you?
1: I only found a couple. So, yeah, we did the best we could.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Normally, we like to speak their names because they matter. So rest in power to all you 18. Yeah. Anyway, now we're going to dive into the setting. So take us there,
1: So the setting is Tehran, Iran. I think it's important to go over recent history in Iran because most Westerners, especially we Americans at this time, don't understand it. We think Mm -hmm. of Iran as an enemy, especially after Bush named it as part of the axis of evil. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't always that way.
0: No. um, Before 1935, uh, Iran was known as Persia. And um, I've had friends in my lifetime who were very proud to be Persian and when I first heard that term, I, I went I went to Netscape, shout out to 1992 <laughs> on the Internet and found out that, that Persia wasn't a country anymore. But I, I mean, I, I digress. But the people who lived there, uh, it, it was called Iran. And this name was officially adopted in 1935. Iran was a monarchy and between 1925 and 1979, ruled by the Pahlavi dynasty.
1: Mohammed Reza Pahlavi was the last shah of Iran. Shah is from the Persian royal title, meaning king or emperor. He became Shah in 1941. In 1953, his democratically elected prime minister, Mohammed Mostek, who had attempted to nationalize oil interests in Iran, be careful when messing with the oil, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he was dismissed by the Shah. The U.S. backed the Shah and worked covertly to help him. Because of its interests in oil. Because, you know, the U.S. is constantly meddling in the Middle East for oil. And I think prior to this time, the Shah kind of took a back seat in the government. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. didn't really give him much choice. They were like, either you get rid of this guy or we will do it and depose you in the process as well.
0: Yeah, that's CIA shit. The U.S. Mm-hmm. has a pretty solid track record of doing that all over the world. Yeah, um, this has nothing to do with our episode. Well, I guess kind of, but I mean, look at what's happening in Central America. Venezuela, especially, was an oil-rich country, and there are basically two dudes who are like, "No, I'm the prime minister. No, I'm the I'm the <laughs> prime minister. No, I'm." And and <laughs> the United States hands are. Um, Mess are messy hope. Yeah, we're
1: always meddling in affairs where there's oil involved. Right. Because we want that
0: oil. <laughs> we do. But guess what? Y'all, it's twenty nineteen. Let's talk about some green New Deal shit. Yeah. Anyway, uh afterwards the government was reformed, allowing the Shah to rule more firmly as a monarch, and the Shah relied heavily on US support to hold on to his power. Mossadegh was tried for treason and he was sentenced to three years in jail, then placed under house arrest for the remainder of his life. And again, this is a gross oversimplification of what happened. But basically, the Iranian people saw a popular democratically elected politician ousted and the Shah taking more power for himself backed by the U.S. It was at this time that the Shah formed the Savak, which was the Iranian secret police.
1: The Shah's dream for Iran was what he referred to as a great civilization, which led to rapid modernization and economic and social reforms. In 1963, he introduced what he called the White Revolution, meaning it was bloodless, which was a series of economic, social, and political reforms with the intention of transforming Iran into a global power and modernizing the nation.
0: Um, I just saw white, white revolution and my, 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 eyes got really like wide. Like, are you guys no, it are means you guys, bloodless.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> you guys Not a red revolution. <laughs> okay. Woo, all right. Well, uh, but part of the reason the Shah introduced the white revolution was political. He wanted to get rid of the landlord's influence, ally himself with the uh, peasantry in the countryside and sever their ties with the aristocracy in the city. The white revolution also instituted new educational policies designed to undercut clerical control of education, and it included reforms of women's rights. Women gained the right to vote, wow, to run for elected office and to serve as lawyers and later judges. The marriageable age for women was raised to 15, so shout out to progress.
1: As part of this, the Shah crowned his wife, Farah, as empress in October of 1967. Before then, the wives of Iranian monarchs had never been crowned or titled as empress. And the Shah not only crowned her as Shabanu, or Empress of Iran, in 1967, but also appointed her as regent, meaning that she would rule Iran in the event of his death until their son, Reza II came of age.
0: Uh, But the white revolution, still uncomfortable saying that, led to a lot of social tensions. Land reforms, which were supposed to benefit the poor and ally them with the Shah, actually did the opposite. Many of them ended up migrating to urban centers for work and a large number of independent farmers and landless laborers became loose political cannons with no loyalty to the Shah.
1: In theory, oil money funneled to the elite was supposed to be used to create jobs and factories, eventually distributing the money through trickle-down economics. But instead, the wealth tended to get stuck at the top and concentrated in the hands of the very few. Surprise! (laughs) 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 Additionally, the clergy and landed elites felt severe antagonism towards the white revolution as the Shah alienated powerful religious, political, and popular forces with his program of modernization and westernization.
0: Particularly controversial was the replacement of Islamic laws with western ones and the forbidding of traditional Islamic clothing, Separation of the sexes and veiling of women's faces. Police would forcibly remove chadors or hooded cloaks off of women who resisted the ban. This was viewed by the Iranian people as an attack on Islam.
1: Because of a fear of communists, intellectuals and artists were being oppressed and even jailed. Suppression of political dissent was performed by Savak. Savak has been described as Iran's most hated and feared institution prior to the revolution of 1979 because of its practice of torturing and executing opponents of the Pahlavi regime. And many of the masses felt resentment towards what they saw as an increasingly corrupt government. Loyalty to the clergy, however, uh, who they saw as more concerned with the fate of the people, remained constant, or it even increased.
0: Irvine Abrahim, a Middle Eastern and Iranian historian, said the White Revolution had been designed to preempt a Red Revolution. Instead, it paved the way for an Islamic Revolution. So in short, by late 1978 there was widespread dissatisfaction later the Shah's son Reza II who apparently lives in Maryland by the way also BT dubs one of my favorite <laughs> shows on Bravo is Shah's of Sunset and my favorite podcast about all the shows on Bravo is Watch What Crappens have you heard of it
1: no. <laughs> well, I've heard of Watch What Crappens, but not Shaws of Sunset. I haven't heard of that one.
0: Oh, Watch What Crap. I don't, I, I basically don't have time to be caught up on all the shows on Bravo. There's just too much good stuff. But I can listen to these dudes podcasts. They're two, they're two gay guys. And they are so funny. And they do impressions of the <laughs> cast. And like, the impression that stands out the most is like, one of the characters is Reza. And he's like, oh, that's a Persian. Anyway. <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> so whenever you see Reza, you, you think of that. <laughs>
0: I, I'm, I'm sorry. But anyway, you have to go check them out. It's a great podcast. Uh, so anyway, uh, so there was speculation that his parents spent too much time concerned about what the West thought and not enough on what their own people thought and that there was too much secrecy and oppression.
1: This was coupled with the rising popularity of Rola Khomeini, a clergyman who had become an outspoken political enemy of the Shah. He was living in exile because of his opposition to the Shah and his call for the Shah's overthrow. People of all different professions and economic status began to see him as a figure to rally behind.
0: The Iranian Revolution in 1979 began as a series of protests, some of which turned into riots. There was great anti-Western sentiment and quote-unquote Western and government symbols such as cinemas, bars, state-owned banks and police stations were set on fire. People killed during these riots were called martyrs by Khomeini. Uh, What's really interesting is that the leftists who did not envision a theocracy aligned with the religious extremists because of the oppression they experienced under the Shah.
1: The Shah could see the writing on the wall, and he had cancer. So he left the country with his family. Khomeini returned to Iran in March of 1979, a referendum to replace the monarchy with an Islamic Republic passed, and Khomeini was named the Grand Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, or Supreme Leader.
0: Although the Shah was backed by the U.S., the U.S. did not want to admit him into the country, although he did have relatives living there because they didn't want to piss off the Iranian people. So he was shuffled around to different countries until October of 1979 when President Carter (laughs) peanut, peanut this, (laughs) peanut pants, (laughs) peanut shirt, peanut, you know, peanut, peanut, peanut. Mr. (laughs) Mr. Peanut, (laughs) Peanut. Agreed to allow him to enter the U.S. for treatment of an advanced malignant lymphoma. His decision was humanitarian, not political, but once that happened, people in Iran became enraged at what they thought was the U.S. conspiring with the Shah.
1: Yeah, and the U.S. did not have a good record, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) they had meddled in their affairs before. So, uh, you know, you can't can't say you blame them for thinking that the U.S. was going to meddle again. I
0: don't know why the United States has thought for so long that they could get away with this kind of shit.
1: I don't know. Because
0: the... um, Consequences are
1: clear. We're still dealing with the consequences to this day. To this day, man. Yeah. So protests outside of the American embassy in Tehran led to the hostage crisis protesters stormed the embassy and the American staff were taken as hostages. The Iranian people demanded that the U.S. bring them the Shah for trial and execution in exchange for the 66 hostages. But the U.S. refused and sent the Shah out of the country. An interesting side note, this is where the notion to use ribbons to memorialize something came from. Well, it came from the song Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree by Tony Orlando and Don.
0: Oh, you know, that's in my playlist. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But Americans at the time started displaying yellow ribbons in support of the hostages. Um, Later on, it was used for for different things. So that's where it came from.
0: Hey, is this a Iran um, hostage situation? Is this the uh, Ben Affleck movie?
1: It was um, the Ben Affleck movie Argo. Yeah. Yeah. That was a part of it. That story was about some American embassy staff, six people who escaped. They like ran out the back. And so they were not taken as hostages, they hid with the uh, Canadian embassy and the Canadians and the CIA worked to get them out by pretending that they were film scouts looking for a location ah. and that movie is really entertaining but they really do Hollywood eyes it you know they, mm-hmm. they, uh, they changed the story to make it a little more exciting I think the story is pretty exciting by itself but you know they had to add some embellishments and uh, I think the ending is kind of stupid but <laughs> I'm not going to say how it ended, but it wasn't quite as dramatic as they, they made it.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was the whole time researching this case and thinking, I know, I've heard about this. Situation. I know this story. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's <laughs> that's out. Uh, so anyway, uh, because of all the shuffling around and battling egos, the Shah's treatment was mismanaged. The Shah finally ended up in Egypt where he had a splenectomy, which was botched. An ectomy is when they take it out. They took out his spleen by an American doctor, and he developed an infection about two weeks after surgery. Then he was given steroids instead of antibiotics, and chemotherapy was started, but the medications and dosages were incorrect. His infection was finally addressed, but his body was done, and in July of 1980, he died. He did. Yep,
1: yep, he did. So although 14 of the American hostages had been released, they were mostly women, African Americans, and citizens of countries other than the U.S., people who Khomeini said were already subject to the oppression of the American society. Fair enough.
0: They knew that America wouldn't care about them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's... There we go. That's a hot take. (laughs) Okay. I didn't look at it that way, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Got a point. Yeah. So everybody can see us, guys. Everybody can see America, <laughs> the United States. They, people are watching. People know what we do, what we have done and what we have not answered for next.
1: So they cared about the white men and they released 14 and one of, one of them who became ill mm. and the rest of them were held for 444 days. And then they were finally released to the United States just minutes after Reagan was sworn in as president. Hmm. And I think this was intended as a big fuck you to President Carter, who had worked tirelessly to free the hostages. And rumors circulated that Reagan's campaign staff negotiated with the Iranians to be sure that the hostages would not be released before the election although reagan always denied these allegations i would not be surprised
0: i wouldn't either i i, I wasn't alive then but president carter seems like a great guy and yeah. a great president i don't understand why people didn't like fucks with him, because I don't know. I don't know Well, I, don't get
1: it. I was alive during that time, and I remember when this happened, I was young, I was like fourteen. Mm-hmm. um so I didn't really understand everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. and i I've always liked President Carter because i I think he's a really caring human being. Yeah. and he actually lives the Christian tenets that other people say they do, but they don't. right, <laughs> you know. Right, <laughs> And, you know, he's out there, he's in his 90s and he's out there building uh, houses for habitat for humanity. And, you know, he's always doing things like that. And um, yeah, he, he's just a really good human being. Um, I think he probably wasn't the best president because I think he expected more from the American people. It wasn't a good time economically. Maybe he was before his Time. I think he, uh, you know, the economy wasn't good. And I think he thought the American people would be stronger than they were, but they weren't. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm not
1: really sure because I like I said, I was I was a kid. Yeah. Um, at the time. But yeah,
0: oh, man. So what's in power? The Ayatollah Khomeini was unsympathetic to the secular left who supported the revolution and many who protested against his regime were killed. Khomeini had his doctrines and beliefs taught in public fucking schools, seriously, and ensured that clerics sympathetic to his beliefs filled the government. The Supreme Leader appointed the heads of judiciary, military, and media. He also confirmed the election of the president. Iran has been led by a highly conservative clerical elite since the revolution in 1979 basically it's uh, theocracy and um i have met people who left iran at that time because it, mm-hmm. it was too hot it was yeah. too hot much, was too much sauce yeah <laughs> so yes
1: yeah, so, and after the revolution in 1980 iraq attacked iran and the two countries became embattled in a war that lasted eight years. So, mm. yeah, it was a pretty tough, tough place to be at the time. Mm-hmm. And many of the soldiers were young teenagers. It's been reported that the government distributed plastic keys of paradise to young boys who volunteered, guaranteeing that if they died in battle, they would go to paradise. What? Now, this has been disputed as western propaganda but there are accounts by civilians who lived in iran during the war uh, that this actually happened so
0: plastic keys
1: to paradise paradise. (laughs) wow
0: okay um so today all broadcasting from iranian soil is controlled by the state and reflects official ideology iran has been described by media freedom advocates as among the five biggest prisons in the world for journalists oh for journalists oh okay I was going to say, wait a minute, come to America. We lock, up, we lock up <laughs> everybody. Uh, Reporters Without Borders says journalists are constantly exposed to intimidation, arbitrary arrest, and long jail sentences imposed by revolutionary courts at the end of unfair trials. And I also wanted to point out two people. There's a dude in the NBA who is from Iran, and I think he's like a seven footer, and he can't go back to his home country. Be, uh, yeah, parents,
1: they'll probably kill. Yeah, you know, his
0: parents have been arrested. He's very outspoken about the Iranian government. Um, there's a podcast that I listen to called Ethnicy, "Ethnically Ambiguous" with uh, Anna Hosnier She's Iranian, and her co-host is uh, Syrian, I think. Um, but she talks about how sometimes, she, like, she's a comedian and she's a feminist, and she says whatever the fuck she wants, which is really funny. But <laughs> sometimes on her show, like, she you you can tell she's very like um subdued if. Her family is in in Iran. Like if her parents are over there, like she has to be careful what she says. And when they come back, then she like spouts off at the mouth. But I mean, they're they're listening. They're like watching everything and everybody. It's It's crazy. So anyway. Yeah, it
1: is. (laughs) So I I watched when I was sick, I watched a movie called Death and the Judge. Uh It's about a judge in Iran who's given out about 4,000 death sentences. Whoa! And they filmmakers follow him around. (laughs) And I was really surprised to see that women in the country hold positions of power. Mm. There were women working in the courtroom and in one scene there was a female attorney and the judge's daughter is a doctor. Mm. Uh, But
0: Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy
1: brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp
0: Online Therapy. Now we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruits HQ. Oh yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp. And especially in these past several years, to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts. Feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So
1: Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is
0: much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit.
1: That's Better h slash fruit. Today's episode is brought to you
0: by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was <laughs> nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. <laughs> then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ, we out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? shh. <laughs> just go with it. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. So Wendy, we gassed up the PJ and then what? (laughs) Well, while
0: we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. (laughs) I was wondering. We we were up in the clouds scoring some quality time with best fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is I'm on level 393. Right on. (laughs) Yes, it sounds incredible.
1: But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery
0: store. One thing is true, Best Fiends is just playing fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can
1: customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs.
0: I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from (laughs) Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With Offline Play,
1: Wendy's favorite, Mm -hmm. you'll never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection
0: download your favorite getaway best fiends for free today on the app store or google play you'll even get five dollars worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five that's friends without the r
1: best fiends the filmmaker is Iranian, and I don't know how much of that is propaganda, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. But uh, it was really interesting. It was in, I think, Farsi oh. with English subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fascinating. And, and the judge was actually really charming. <laughs> oh!
0: <laughs> yeah. But he's killed 4,000 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's a really charming guy for killing 4,000 people. <laughs> No, biggie. It's. I think it's on Amazon Prime.
0: So. Mm. oh, we'll have to check it out.
1: And as you mentioned, uh, people in Iran watch television, and it's the leading medium in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a state-run broadcasting network, uh, and there is a ban on satellite equipment. But foreign networks are widely watched, mm-hmm. although there is often deliberate interference from within Iran.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, uh, it's hot there. It's hot there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so authorities also routinely block or filter what they consider objectionable websites. But Iranians use virtual private networks. Hey, shout out to VPNs or other. Hey, get at us. There's a VPN sponsor (laughs) on the podcast network. You know where to find us. And other methods uh, to circumvent this and social media platforms and messaging services are popular. Iran is currently in the process of creating a standalone domestic intranet.
1: And if any of this information makes you go, what? and you want to do a little more research check out our footnotes i included a link to some photos from iran prior to the 1979 revolution and and they're they're pretty whack
0: (laughs) (laughs) pretty whack um so so shahs of sunset is my introduction to iran and uh it's like it's like um the real housewives mix with the kardashians on bravo and um there is it real yes yeah, that well, I mean they're, they're, it's they're, not
1: like a comedy, it's the real
0: people. It's a it's a it's a reality show about um like first generation um Iranian kids. So oh, okay, are okay. not kids, they're they're like millennials with like Right. they do like colonics on on Saturday or on Friday oh, God. And, and, then they, <laughs> and then they like they and like get in fights <laughs> with each other and they're like sleeping with each other and they're all getting in fights. But it's really, really entertaining. Um, it's one of those reality shows, you can just like turn your brain off. But um, right. there was one scene where they were all having a dinner and a lot of their all basically all of their parents came from Iran in 1970 something. Um, and then mm-hmm. they were born here. And there was one girl who was like, Iran is great. Iran is so like liberal and, and forward thinking. And then <laughs> the table was like, bitch are you crazy <laughs> um, I, and again I am I only know about Iran from that show and from doing research from this episode so please don't at me because I'm not educated enough but I was just thinking like, there might be a lot of people who are like what Iran um, and so check out our links but also check out Shadows of Sunset okay. anyway <laughs> Oh so now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So Beth's going to uh, start us off. What do you got?
1: Mohammed Bajay was born on February 7th, 1982 in the city of Kuchan, Iran, which is located in the northeast side of the country. Uh, he was born just a few years after the revolution. He had six brothers and six half-brothers uh unfortunately his mother died of cancer when he was four Mm. and his father who was a merchant married again shortly after the death of bajay's mother
0: bajay didn't remember his mother which is really sad but reportedly said that his father was a barbaric person who beat him reportedly his father once said that he wanted to kill bajay with a stick bajay's family moved to Pakdasht, about 20 miles southeast of tehran when he was eleven, there, the large family lived in three squalid rooms. Beget loved learning at school, but his father forced him to abandon school and go to work.
1: according to some reports, Beget was also often beaten by his stepmother, and he later said that the sight of blood made him euphoric. Mm. Beget grew up surrounded by poverty, where children sometimes started working as soon as they could press mud into brick molds.
0: Mm. Men, women, and children work all day filing uh, brick molds with mud. Oh, filing, (laughs) filing, filing brick
1: molds. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) like my job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) Boy, oh, boy! (laughs) Let me tell you about the job stitch. Um, yeah. So get a get at us at the cash app so we don't have to work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, men women and children work all day filling brick molds with mud and drying them out before firing them in the kilns a family would earn only a few dollars a week roughly two dollars and 50 cents for every thousand bricks they made whoa to make matters worse uh, sometime during this time when he was a child beje was sexually abused some reports say that he was raped multiple times by different men Mm. that's sad it is really, really sad. And um, I think what ensues next makes sense, but we're going to dive into the timeline now, Beth. So hit it.
1: (laughs) So as Wendy mentioned earlier, unfortunately, we don't have much information about the actual crimes. So this timeline is going to be sparse. Uh, We have to rely on what's reported and not much has been reported. But according to a neighbor Bijay used to sit in front of his house and look out over the brickworks. Nearby were the slums where most of his victims lived. Mohammed later confessed that he planned his crimes while looking out over this view.
0: In the distance is the Giamashar slum where Bijay's accomplice, Ali Baghi, sometimes referred to as Ali Golampur, lived. In the interest of not confusing everybody, we will refer to him as Boggy. Newspapers reported that Boggy was also sexually abused as a child, which is terrible, by his father and other men. As an adult, Boggy was a heroin addict who later claimed that his feelings of guilt were buried beneath his addiction.
1: Bijay reportedly said in court that Boggy was reluctant to join him at first and only helped after being threatened. And the pair would lure children on the promise of digging rabbits and foxes from their burrows in the desert. And some were lured to a brick bird coop where Biget told them there were doves who would perform for them.
0: Wow. Um, we'll talk about this and how not to get murdered later, but man if anybody is st- offering you i have something fun over here to your children yeah or, or yeah which i i was researching for this episode and like oh, did i remember to tell my children this did i remember to tell yeah. them Never to accept candy or <laughs> <laughs> well we need to talk yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh beje would then kill the children by by beating them with a rock and then rape them and throw the bodies in shallow graves They would then leave slaughtered animal carcasses near the graves to disguise the smell of rotting flesh. Whoa.
1: Which is pretty smart, actually. Uh, Yeah. Gross, but smart. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Many victims were the children of Afghans whose families did not report them missing for fear of deportation. Mm. Others were ethnic Kurds, a minority group that is often discriminated against, particularly after the 1979 revolution.
0: Wow. So these families were silenced, even though they were like super suffering, missing their babies. Um, Pekdash inhabitants said they were not afforded the full protection of the law because of their poverty and ethnicity.
1: Local people said the police failed to investigate strenuously enough. Bijay was at one point held for several months and then released. And then after this release, he killed seven more times.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. Do we know why he was arrested no okay bummer but if you know get at us reportedly the crimes came to light after three children in Pakdasht went out to play football and never returned home kevan koshravi was 12 and his two friends were playing outside when Bejet tricked them into going with him by using a story about hunting for animals he took them into the desert and killed them
1: when police caught him Bejet was said to be watching children swimming in a canal Press reports said the two suspects led the police to the scene of their latest killing where a bulldozer dug up three burned corpses.
0: Oh, shit. All right, so now we're going to dive into the trial. Mr. Bejet was arrested in September and sentenced to death in October. Well, that was fast. On charges of kidnap, rape, and murder. The trial was held behind closed doors, a measure the authorities said was justified to spare the victim's family's further pain. But was it, though? Or were they hiding something? We don't know.
1: Yeah, it, it always makes me um, suspicious when they do things like that, especially in a repressive government. Like, why why exactly mm-hmm. was the trial behind closed doors? Yeah. Like, did, did, he, did he really do it? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I have many questions. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Apparently in Iran, victims or victims' families decide the convict's fate and can ask for the death penalty or blood money, which in Islamic laws, is financial compensation, paid to the victim or heirs of a victim in the case of murder, bodily harm, or property damage. Four of the families accepted blood money for the crimes instead of demanding the death penalty, and then asked if he was sorry for the crimes. Bejet reportedly shook his head with indifference.
0: So this is fucking awful. Um, I... I'm like picturing somebody do that in the face of doing something so awful to such innocent people. And this pisses me off.
1: Yeah, but, you know, this is this is a report. And and did this happen during the trial? Is this really true? I don't know.
0: Mm. This is
1: what's been reported.
0: Probably sold a lot of papers, though, If it, even if if it's true. Oh, yeah yeah so um bajay was sentenced to one death sentence for each murder he confessed to and a hundred lashes of the whip for the rapes his accomplice alibagi uh slash golambur was 24 and he was acquitted of involvement in the murders but was convicted of taking part in some of the kidnappings to which he confessed he was sentenced to 15 years in prison and 100 lashes bajay was quoted as having said I suffered cruelty as a child, and when I compared my life with others, I had to commit such acts. But did you? Did you really have to? (laughs) Come on, bro. Uh, So now we're going to get into where are they
1: now? So hit it, Beth. In Iran, most death sentences are carried out shortly after they are passed. Typically, the condemned are hanged early in the morning. Particularly notorious criminals are sometimes executed in public at the site of their crime. And this criminal was notorious.
0: Mm -hmm. Public executions are rare in Iran, except as punishment for heinous crimes which have triggered public outrage. And if a court decides that the offense has deeply affected public sentiment. The government justifies them as setting an example to the population.
1: On March 16, 2005, in Pakdasht, Iran, the town near the desert area where the killings occurred, in front of a crowd of about 5,000, Bijay's shirt was removed and he was handcuffed to an iron post, then given 100 lashes from different judicial officials. He fell to the ground more than once during the punishment, but did not cry out.
0: Did you see the pictures of his back?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awful.
0: Many in the crowd, some of them, other family members of the victims repeatedly tried to approach Bajay, but were prevented by riot police. Scuffles continued for at least half an hour, but the brother of one of the victims managed to get past security and stab Bajay, which to me is super epic. Like, yeah, is not <laughs> that every, I mean, very, it,
1: very dramatic, very Yeah,
0: dramatic. But if you're in, if you're, if you're one of these, kids surviving family members. I mean, shout, I mean, shout out to whoever did that. I'm just saying the large angry crowd pelted him with stones and scuffled with police.
1: The mother of another boy Bajay had killed was brought up and she slapped his face several times and cursed him while putting a blue nylon rope noose around his neck. Mm. As the spectators chanted death to Bajay, He was hoisted by the neck about 10 meters in the air with a crane until he died. And hanging by a crane is a common form of execution in Iran. Um, It does not involve a swift death, like if you are dropped, Mm -hmm. um, because the prisoner's neck is not broken.
0: Oh, wow. That is intense. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Let me take a breath here. Uh, to cries of god is great and make him spin so he will suffer more mr beje was lifted high into the air dying slow death by strangulation that is usual in public executions in iran some people burst into tears crying out the names of their injured children some shouted shame on you Bejet. after about 20 minutes the body was lowered and the doctor confirmed that Bejet was dead 20 minutes that's a long time yeah
1: Many of the people in Pakdasht supported the hanging because they believe that public executions reduce crime and that Bijay deserved more than death. Others believe that public hangings only promote more violence.
0: A man in the crowd was quoted saying, Many criminals have been hanged, but offenses have never reduced. It's an ugly scene that a human being is hanged even if he has committed many crimes. Revenge is not the solution. Iranian reformists say public executions hurt the country's international image and reflect badly on Islam.
1: Holding a photograph of his murdered nine-year-old son, Mohammed Nouri, an Afghan refugee, thanked Iran for administering justice to Beje. Today's execution will reduce my suffering. I am satisfied with the Islamic Republic of Iran and the Iranian people, he said.
0: Hmm. But uh, Fawzel Shamzi, 35, also an Afghan, said she would have preferred blood money to the death penalty to compensate for the death of her son. Nima who was 12, who was working full time in an oven making factory at the time of his disappearance. We had to sell all of our things while we spent eight or nine months searching for our son, she said. And that was an aspect of a missing child that I hadn't considered, like the expense. Yeah that it would take to, um, try to retrieve, try to
1: find your
0: your child. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm not really sure, um, why she didn't get blood money. Um, that also wasn't clear to me, um, Mm -hmm. because it said four families accepted blood money, but maybe because she was an Afghan, she couldn't take the blood money. I I don't know. I don't know. But the police's investigation into the murders, which occurred over the course of more than a year, was criticized, with a number of officers suspended for incompetence. The case also prompted a debate about the city slums and the subculture of poverty, drug addiction, and crime there.
0: Mm. After Begay was caught, the rooms where his family lived were deserted. The panes of glass and the doors were broken by angry neighbors. The brickworks nearby were shut down and the owner was sent to prison on vague charges connected to the case. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, not really sure exactly what happened there, but Mm. yeah. I wonder
0: if he was involved. (laughs) So now we're going to get into what we think made him or her snap and our takeaways. So I'll let you go first, Beth.
1: So um, like you mentioned earlier, he had a pretty shitty childhood. Um, He said he had been raped as a child and wanted to take revenge on the community and that he suffered from his mother's early death and a lack of affection in childhood. And that's probably all true. Um, I'm assuming he was a pedophile, but I suppose it's possible that he chose children because they were easy prey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say what his accomplice got out of the deal. If he was only helping in luring the children and did not participate in the actual crimes
0: mm-hmm. maybe he
1: was getting money to feed his addiction mm-hmm. uh, but how did they come to this arrangement and why I mean there's so many questions I have yeah we always to that
0: story how we, yeah we get together and like, how did we, they find
1: each other let's, yeah let's and, and if if one wasn't participating in the crimes why was he participating in the kidnappings I don't know it's all weird mm-hmm. um and like you said, this was a really difficult one to research because all of the articles that we read focused on the execution mm-hmm. and uh, talked a lot about the execution and not much on the crimes. Mm-hmm. And the story takes place in a country with a repressive government. So there there really just wasn't a lot of information out there.
0: Yeah. Um, I second everything that you said, Beth. Um, I just wanted to add, I I, I believe hurt people, hurt other people. And I feel really yeah. terrible for the child that Bajay and his accomplice were. I feel even worse for the, um, was it 12 kids that he raped and murdered? 16. Oh, 16. 16. At least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At least young boys. And that it. I, I just can't, I just can't with people who hurt kids. It like, yeah. I, I, my kids are so small and, uh, I, I love my kids. I don't like other kids.
1: (laughs) But you don't (laughs) want them to get hurt. I don't
0: want them to get hurt. Okay. So just just, yeah. And and, and and I worry about every minute of every day. And so I don't I I just can't imagine. So anyway,
1: yeah, I don't really like the stories where they hurt children. I I think this one was tolerable because we didn't have a lot of details. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of details. So I I was able to tolerate it. But I can't with stories about hurt kids, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's oh, yeah. So this was a toughie. Yeah. now we're gonna talk about how not to get murdered so if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you (laughs)
1: This segment is not intended to be victim-blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. And sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just
0: offer up generic tips. So um, these tips come from an article that I found on, I think, Better Homes and Gardens. And I uh, will link it up in the show notes. But basically this, this uh, PhD dude was like the stranger who grabs a child and takes off with her in his car may rivet parents to the national news, but it's not the norm. Most children are victimized by someone they know. And most of the time, Those unfortunate children are targeted by sexual predators who are intent on physical and emotional abuse. Predators put themselves in places where they know they're going to have proximity to kids. Besides the fact that the majority are males, child sexual predators don't fit a particular mold. They are any race from any background from any religion. They are impossible to classify says this doctor guy Wooden. Um, They uh, represent a cross section of the American population population. Landscape, rich, poor, PhDs, illiterate, R. Kelly <laughs> professionals to laborers and the uh, unemployed to corporate executives. Most abductions involve deception through well known lures that still work to this day. They've worked since the beginning of time, which is terrible. Yeah. The most brutal, brutal acts against children began with free candy, the offer of a modeling contract, or a picture of a fluffy little kitten. Wooden has determined the following to be the most lethal. And this is what we need to be telling our kids. So they'll use the lost pet lure. Tell your kids there is no lost pet. And if there were, why in the fuck would a grown up ask a little kid for help? (laughs) (laughs) Tell your kids if a grown up asks them to find a lost pet, they are in danger and need to get the hell out of there. Assistance, tell kids. Adults do not ask kids for help. They ask other adults. So if an adult approaches a kid to like ask for help, tell them run in the opposite direction. Authority uh, is another thing. Make sure kids understand that they should never go anywhere with anyone without their parents' permission. Even if the stranger has a uniform or a badge. Fuck yes, that resonates. So so, because a cop will be like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? No. (laughs) Where's my mommy and daddy? (laughs) <laughs> tell your kids that if someone wants to take you to an office, they need to call your parents. Uh, the child has a right to have a responsible adult advocating for them in their presence. Good one, yeah. And trust your gut and tell your kids to do the same. If something feels funny, don't fucks with it. Kids don't have the wisdom or the strength to take on a predator. We've seen that time and time again. So talk to them about sex and their private parts and what's off limits. And that if anybody tries to touch them, they should not feel ashamed or bad they just need to tell mom and dad so mom and dad can help and um i tell my kids i thought this was a good tip it's also in the article but i tell my kids this all the time is if we're somewhere like at the fair or at the grocery store or somewhere and you guys get lost look for a mom with kids preferably look for a black mom with kids but (laughs) (laughs) but if you happen to see any mom with kids go to them and tell them i'm lost can you help me and you should be all right. So those Good are one. those are how not to get murdered for kids. All right. <laughs> kids edition. Kids edition. So now yeah. we're going to get into <laughs> some, some serial killer and true crime news. Oh, okay, so I thought this crime story was so fucking funny. So did you guys hear the one about the people who shut up the Popeyes because they ran out of spicy chicken sandwiches? <laughs> so I... <laughs> I heard about, so you, you've heard about the spicy chicken. Yes, sandwiches. I have. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I heard about the story on the breakfast club. And by the way, when, when they announced the sandwiches on August 12th, that everybody was like, we don't have to support homophobic Chick-fil-A anymore. We can go to Popeye's. I was like, talk to my husband, old whitey, get there now and get us a sandwich. Go and, get us a sandwich. Go oh, get us a sandwich. <laughs> but we were all sold out. Like we went like open, it open like at 10 or 11. And, and they were,
1: Already
0: sold out. Holy crap! Wow. So I heard about the story of the Breakfast Club, but uh, I also found an article about it on the Washington Post website, written by Hannah Knowles. And it turns out a man pulled a gun to demand Popeyes chicken sandwiches after they sold out. One customer became so enraged to find the hot item gone that he pulled a gun (laughs) at a restaurant in Houston. And five adults with a baby headed into the Popeyes in Houston. Um, at 9 p.m. last week on Monday to order the chicken sandwiches at a drive-thru. Um, and the employees told ABC 13 that uh, they let the patrons know the sandwiches were unavailable and the group tried to enter the store. They left the kid in the car. Oh my God. And <laughs> the staff were able to lock the door and the group out, but police told the station, the news station, that a man in the group brandished a pistol and demanded the chicken sandwiches now pop, 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 bra, bra. give me those sandwiches. That's this nuts. story is so funny because the chicken wars have yeah. begun uh, between Popeyes and, and Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A, you all better be scared because... People have a big ass problem eating at your restaurants because of yeah, how and, they are, and
1: this is why these sandwiches are so in demand and why they sold yeah. out so quick.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't have to feel bad about going to get a piece of a chicken, chicken sandwich chicken in between yeah. two slices. <laughs> it's great, uh, but they're sold out, and so that is a problem. And so people are people are angry. I know P- Popeye's has said that they they w- they will re-release these sandwiches that we don't need to worry. We just need. Oh, to yeah. Them.
1: They're going to sell the shit out <laughs> of them, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I can't yeah. wait for you all to go out of business anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll hear these screens not open on Sundays. What the fuck are you guys doing anyway? Uh, so but now uh, that Popeye's is in the game. I'm happy to say that Chick fil A can get the fuck out of here. And that is my news. <laughs> Good so, news. Thank you. So now we are going to get into some shout outs any content by people of color, about people of color, any marginalized groups, or any true crime goodies. So I can't wait to hear what you have to share, Beth.
1: So this is this might seem like a weird shout out, but there's a really interesting series on Amazon Prime called Tony Robinson's Crime and Punishment about how our legal system evolved. Mm. And uh, why is that weird? Well, Tony Robinson's a white dude and he's British.
0: Oh, <laughs> huh. OK. Tell me more.
1: He was on a British show called Blackadder with Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, and Rowan Atkinson, among others. So a okay. bunch of white dudes, uh, mm-hmm. although Stephen Fry is gay. But, okay. <laughs> but anyway, okay. the series is about the British legal system, which our legal system is based on. And I bring it up in this episode because the laws started out as eye for an eye type laws, similar oh. to some of the current laws in Iran uh, mm-hmm. based on religious belief. Um, there's a lot of information in the series that I did not know. For example, before the 18th century, there was no prison system. There were jails, but they were strictly for holding prisoners either before court or before they were executed.
0: What?
1: Yeah. Once a prisoner had his or her day in court and they were convicted, they were either executed or punished fairly quickly. And the punishments for minor crimes usually involved humiliation, like being put in stocks. For other crimes, the punishments were severe, like in this case with the the lashes, whipping, mm-hmm. um, and usually involved some type of torture and humiliation. Um, there was branding, cutting off of body parts, stuff like that. Um, so they, they would not get jail time. They would just, you know, be tortured. <laughs> wow. Super fun. Yeah. Oh. So yes. anyway, that's, wow. that oh, is interesting. really interesting and informative. I think there's four episodes. It's really oh, good. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. will be checking it out.
1: Yeah. I know how you like torture. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's my favorite. Uh, you know how I, 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 I follow the hashtag traumatic, um, injury or, um, uh, uh-huh. sur- I follow a lot of surgeons on Instagram and they post videos of their surgeries. Woo! Right. I'm always like to my kids or my husband, do you guys want to see something gross? <laughs> they always say no. They're like,
1: no, <laughs> yeah, I'll pass on that
0: grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> I also have one more shout-out, and this is for the movie Persepolis. Huh? Who? Persepolis. It's a an animated film based on a graphic novel uh by marjan satrapi Uh it's about the author's life in pre and post revolutionary iran so it's it's a true story it's her her story oh wow it's in french with english subtitles which i know can be challenging but it's really really worth it it's such a good movie Uh um and it it's it makes you understand what happened Um, like before the revolution, why the revolution happened um, after the revolution. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the people in the story are just, they're just people, you know, they're human beings. And uh, it's available for about $3 on Amazon Prime and Vudu. So totally watch it.
0: Ooh, turns out that's within my budget. Yes. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Beth, where can the people find us?
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch.
0: Hey, I know there's a lot of babies being born now, so get you some onesies. (laughs) 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 So this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
1: It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen
0: wherever you get podcasts.
1: Hello, this is Gary Chachot, welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present,